0: Welcome to Resistance Radio. I am John Kane. I am your host, and I want to thank everybody for listening. I don't care how you're listening, if you're catching us on Facebook Live or as a podcast, or if you're listening on WBAI in New York City or WPFW in Washington, or... Look, we've got a couple of Pacifica um, stations and affiliates that are carrying the show, uh, and I appreciate them doing so. So however you're listening, wherever you're listening, um, support... Support that platform. Support the Pacifica stations in particular that are that are carrying uh, this show. Uh, greatly appreciate it. Um, look, I got to ask the question, what do you do about judges, especially Supreme Court justices, who lie in both their opinions and in the rulings? And look, if this seems like a bold claim to make, Um, I'm going to back it up. I'm going to back it up with some facts, and you can determine whether they are exaggerations or outright lies, but um, there are examples after examples, and there may be no example that is greater than the one that essentially codifies the doctrine of Christian discovery into U.S. law. And for those of you who don't recall, although I've talked about it plenty on the show, for those who don't recall, the doctrine of Christian discovery is this essentially church dogma that came out of the Vatican through a series of papal bulls that basically encouraged, uh, supported, and if, if not specifically called for, the Christian nations of Europe to seek out lands that were occupied by non-Christians and then just claim them, claim the lands, claim the, the freedom of the people there, take their stuff, uh, enslave the people, and was ba- basically built on this whole idea that the Christian nations of Europe had the right to claim and to spread Christendom into uh, into heathen, pagan, Saracen lands, as they called them. So this is what becomes a part of U.S. law, and it becomes a part of U.S. law in a case called Johnson v. McIntosh back in 1823. The chief justice was Chief Justice John Marshall. And I, I just want to, uh, I mean, I'd, I'd like to. Read if I could here. Let me see. I'd like to read what was part of his opinion. He said because here's the thing. He not only basically says that native people can't hold title to land because we're native, that's only a a Christian purview, but he goes farther than that. He goes on to say that our sovereignty kind of acknowledges that we that we had sovereignty, but our sovereignty was necessarily diminished upon discovery by the white Christian nations of Europe. But then he goes even further yet, and this is where where it it isn't just bad law, it isn't just immoral, but but it's it's a lie. And here's what he says. He says, however, let me get my glasses on here. (laughs) However extravagant the pretension of converting the discovery of an inhabited country into conquest may appear, if the principle has been asserted in the first instance and afterwards sustained, if a country has been, has been acquired and held under it, if the property of the great mass of the community originates in it, it becomes the law of the land and cannot be questioned. So, in other words, if you can tell a lie right from the beginning, if you assert a lie and then you can sustain that lie, then you can make it true. You can make it a part of the law that cannot be questioned. And 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 look again let me be clear here what he's saying here however extravagant however exaggerated this pretended notion he says pretension that's the idea of pretending that something is true i mean he's acknowledging that it's not true however extravagant the pretension of equating essentially discovery of an inhabited land with conquering that land and conquering the people that are on it however However ridiculous that proposition is, if we can say it from the beginning and we can can sustain it, and if you can build a country based on that, on that principle, then you can make it law and you you can make it so it's unquestioned. Now, let's be clear. (laughs) The taking of native lands was not done just based solely on the principle of the doctrine of Christian discovery. Most of us didn't even know what the hell that was. It was basically done through force. It was done through murder. It was done through the, the taking of our children. It was done through any number of means, not and, and the least of which was this church dogma that the United States had su- subscribed to and tried to codify in the law. So this is done in 1823. This is still in place today. <laughs> the, I, I've mentioned it before, and I'm going to mention it again. The liberal darling of the court, previous liberal darling of the court, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, she cited the doctrine of Christian discovery in a case against the Onitis, where the Oneidas were trying to reacquire lost land. And she says, ah, you can't do that. Under the, under the doctrine of discovery, she said, the, the title to the lands originally occupied by Indians became vested in the discovering nations of Europe and then ultimately the, the, the colonies, the states and the United States. She just says, it became vested. She says, the lands that we occupied, the title of that land's, became theirs now she never said it was ours in the first place she just said that we occupied it we happen to live there so this is ruth Bader made the jewish woman the jewish liberal darling of the supreme court cites this church dogma this christian dogma in 2005 and of course it gets worse she wrote the opinion on this uh, city of cheryl versus oneida that's the that's the case from 2005 but it gets worse because then she she cites Other uh, improper usages of of law. She cites what she called the impossibility doctrine. The impossibility doctrine, again, this is close to an outright lie. She says the impossibility doctrine says that once Native people have lost their ability to assert sovereignty over land, they can never do it again. And you know what? That is patently false. It is just wrong. And she cites a case out in like Yankton Sioux territory that was already over a hundred years old, where uh, where the courts there had ruled that that the Sioux could not reacquire land and then assert their authority over that land. But and that and that's like fifteen hundred miles away. But only a hundred miles down the road in Seneca territory, there was an act of Congress passed in in like uh, nineteen ninety called the Salamanca Lee Settlement Act, where Congress had to settle for a, this bogus lease for the city of Salamanca from, from the Allegheny territory of the Seneca Nation. But they added in the final pa- part of that, that congressional act that the Senecas could reacquire lost land and not just reacquire as trust land held for their use and enjoyment by the federal government. No, he, what, what was passed in that law was that the Senecas could reacquire that land and have it converted back to the original title, their original title. Not a New York state deed, not a county deed, not a U.S. deed, but original title held by the Seneca Nation. And that was only about 15 years old or, you know, whatever, 11 years old or whatever. It It was a recent ruling. And yet Ruth Bader Ginsburg cites not only the doctrine of Christian discovery, but this other BS doctrine of impossibility just to rule against Native people. So, I mean, this isn't just a, a right-wing you know, conspiracy to take over the, the Supreme Court to harm Native people. No, plenty of liberals have been doing it too. But let me go back in time again. So not only do you have Johnson v. McIntosh, this case, and the Chief Justice, John Marshall, admit to this lie. Admit to this lie and say, but if we can sustain it, we can make it unquestionable. Well, I say no. It, if you've done something wrong, even if you did something that you thought was right, and he knew it wasn't right, even if you did something you thought was right, and it would turn out to be wrong, it can still be questioned. That's that's kind of the the way the system is supposed to work. I'm not saying it works great, but that's you know that's how they overturn things like like um, constitutionally protected abortions. That's how they do that. They they decide okay, what we did before was wrong, and now we're going to write it. Well, we can d- d- debate whether that was wrong or right, but that's that's a whole nother issue. But there's another case that comes basically, and this is 1823. You you cross into the 21st century, and then there's another case where they took that doctrine of Christian discovery and they turned it into something else or something more. And this is a, a case called Lone Wolf versus Hitchcock. And in this case, again, I think it was the chief justice uh, at the time who, who wrote the opinion, basically established this notion of plenary powers. And I know I've talked about this on a previous show, but I want to explain it a little bit more. And that Congress has the plenary powers, and plenary means ultimate, ultimate authority over Native people. And what what they were specifically saying in this case, in this uh, Lone Wolf versus Hitchcock, is that Congress has the plenary powers, the ultimate powers, to abrogate a treaty whenever they think it's right. So regardless of the, the fact that the U.S. Constitution says treaties are the supreme law of the land, what you have in, in what is this, 1903, the Supreme Court saying, yeah, it's supreme law of the land until we change it, and it doesn't have to be a mutually acceptable change in the treaty. Basically, the Supreme Court just says no. Congress can just abrogate; they can they can just break the treaty as long as, you know if it's in the national interest, they can just break a treaty, and that is also a lie. So you you realize as you go from century to century. I mean, you got the the nineteenth century, uh, a a Bald-faced lie being established to incorporate church dogma into the country that's supposed to have a separation of church and state. Yeah, not so much. Not what it's. And look, and I'm not even saying the doctrine of Christian discovery is really a Christian principle. I'm saying it was. It's what came from the authorities at the Vatican to empower countries to just take over and and to kill heathens, to kill us, to enslave us, to steal our stuff, to take our land. To reduce us to less than human, and that's and that's really what this was all about. And I'm not saying it started with the church. Look, the the Greeks said the same thing, right? They they thought that anybody who wasn't European or Greek or white, for whatever you want, however you wanted to define what Europeans were, that Africans were less than human, and and other people, you know, people of you know darker skin, that we were somehow animals. I mean, this goes back to Plato and Socrates and these guys. So. The fact that the church was doing it in, in, in the 15th century is not that much of a stretch. But the fact that it's it's sustained now, <laughs> there I go using that word sustained, like Marshall said. The fact that you can sustain a lie, and in some cases, like like with Chief Justice Marshall, sustain a, a, a lie that you know is a lie when you say it, because you called it that. You said an extravagant pretension. This idea that we could equate discovery of an inhabited land with conquering the people on there. Just so all you can do is lay your eyes on us and we're conquered. And, and the problem is, many Americans believe that, that Native people were just conquered by the United States or, or other European powers before the United States. And it's simply not true. Just for the record, the United States has only had maybe 50. And that's and that's probably, you know, that's that might be an exaggeration. 50 official armed conflicts with native with native peoples. And you know what? They didn't win them all. And and we we've represented as many as seven, eight hundred distinct Native peoples. So to suggest that native peoples were conquered by the United States? No. You were lied to. Or, or I mean we, we had fraud committed against us. We we were murdered. We, you know, we had our children taken, our, our women were raped, and, uh, and our, our men were scalped for bounties. You know, we had all these horrendous things that are all d- defined as genocide happened to us. But that doesn't mean that genocide was completely successful. I mean, it was a genocide. And a genocide doesn't have to be you know, a total eradication of a people to be characterized as a genocide. All are part of a people. That's, what, that's how it's defined internationally. And there's no question genocide was committed against our people, but, but this is—I mean, this is the challenge that we have as Native people because when you essentially have the courts telling Congress, "Oh no, you have a blank check; you can do whatever you want to Native people," then you get Congress suggesting, "Well, we've got to do some things for them," so they pass laws like ICWA, Again, talked about ICWA already—the Indian Child Welfare Act, where. They don't acknowledge that we have power over our own, own children. No, they have the power, that, and that's what they do. They, they asserted their power by saying, "Well, we're going to tell states that they um, that they can't just take children out of a native home and put them in a white home anymore. We're going to stop that." That's in, in in the 1970s. They did that. They still didn't give us the power to to place our children who may have been in a you know a compromised or dangerous home. No, we don't we weren't acknowledged to have the authority over our own children. This is Congress having the power, and then they wield that power over the states. And the assumption is they just have the power over us. So when that, that law got challenged just recently, I heard plenty of Native people praise. Oh, yeah, the ICWA was upheld. But it was upheld under under the notion that Congress has ultimate power over us. And I heard Native people praising that, and they shouldn't have. Frankly, ICWA was a flawed law in the first place because it didn't empower us to place or remove our children. I mean, not that they had to empower us, but it acknowledged that we had that power. But it didn't do that. Instead, the federal government put guardrails up for the state. So then part of it turns into, well, is this a state's right versus federal authority issue? And then part of that challenge was the challenge whether we were merely just another race of Americans. And that never got addressed in the challenge, which is problematic I mean, it would have been worse if it didn't get addressed. And they said, oh yeah, they're all Americans now. They're just just another marginalized racial minority of of Americans. Which, of course, I reject. I don't consider myself, for anything, the idea of race is a made-up construct. Racism is real. Because racism is this idea of believing you are racially superior over another race. I mean, so it doesn't matter whether races really exist or not. You just have to have the belief that you can empower and then create a series of systemic embedded um, laws and, and policies that will ensure that one recognized or distinct group of people will always have power over there. That's what racism is about. But I don't want to be considered a racial group. We are a people. We, have, we, have, we are not just, gene- this isn't about being genetically different from white people. This is the fact that we predate white people here and that we have culture, we have language, we have distinct territories and communities and, and lives that are, that are different than Americans. I'm not saying it's better. I'm not, I'm not projecting this notion of superiority over white people. No, I'm not making a racist claim here. I'm just saying that we're not you. And that distinction, that autonomy, that sovereignty, is what we've been fighting for ever since you landed here. Even as we supported the civil rights movement, we weren't demanding civil rights. I didn't want rights under the U.S. Constitution. I wanna be left out, just like the Constitution was written that says, oh no, we're not gonna apportion any representation to native people in the U.S. Constitution. I mean, it clearly says that that we're not Americans, that we aren't a part of it. And yet, once you say that Congress has plenary powers over people now you can pass laws like the the indian citizenship act. you can say oh i declare all native people are citizens now wait a second you can't declare that i'm a u.s citizen you can't make that decision for me i get to choose who i am and what i am you can't force your identity on me you know what they call that you know before they even invented the word genocide they call that denationalization they call that erasing or eradicating or removing somebody's national character or cultural character and then imposing another nation's character or culture's character upon them. And that was considered a war crime. And they didn't come up with this this distinction because of us. They were talking about what was happening in Europe. They didn't want countries going in and wiping out the, the, through ethnic cleansing the, somebody's ethnicity, somebody's culture, somebody's identity, and then just imposing somebody else's upon them. <laughs> but when you look at that thing, you, there's no greater example of it than, than what the United States tried to do to us. So in 1923, they passed a law of the Indian Citizenship Act. And they tried to declare that we're all citizens. They know that they didn't succeed in that because 10 years later, they tried to pass another law in 1934, the Indian, Reorganiz- or Indian Reorganization Act, where they tried to wipe out all traditional governments and impose these little corporate, you know, constitutions, you know, they tried to create corporations out of every uh, native territory. Well, many of us have rejected that. And they know it because today the United States says, if you are gonna try to reacquire lost land, not through the way the Senecas could do it. they have a unique ability to do that. But if you're gonna try to take land and, and have it put into federal trust for you, you have to first prove that you were under US jurisdiction in 1934. Wait a second, you, you claim to have made us citizens in, 20, in, in 1924. In 1934, you redefined all Native people as a tribe, band, or nation of Indians to the laws of the United States. So now you're acknowledging that neither one of those things, and forget about the, the 14th Amendment. No, we weren't included in that either. So they keep passing these laws. Again, ICWA, IGRA, the Indian Gaming Regulatory Act. We didn't need the, the federal government to pass a law to legalize Native gaming your Supreme Court already acknowledged that we had the right to do that. They didn't give us the right. They acknowledged that we had that right. So then you pass a law and you put the states who we have been fighting almost in every native territory across the, the entire continent, you put the states in, in our gambling business, in our gaming business, and we see how that works out. New York State has raped the Senecas for $2.2 billion and is trying to rape them for another two uh, $2 billion in their compact negotiations today. So. This is the question that I have. If you know and you can definitively prove that you've got Supreme Court justices, whether it's you know um, Lone Wolf versus Hitchcock, Johnson v. McIntosh, City of Cheryl versus Oneida, you've got judge after judge after judge who has lied, and they knew they were lying. And if they didn't know it at the time, they certainly real. I mean, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, she came back later and said, "Yeah, that I, that was not a good case for me. I, yeah, I didn't I didn't make a good ruling there." Well, what the hell does that mean? You're going to admit to being wrong after the fact, and nothing changes the law that you that you codified into into the U.S. jurisprudence. Look, we know that there's example after example of laws that get challenged in the in the U.S. Supreme Court, um, even previous rulings. You know, I know they have this whole, whole uh, story sorry, uh, what is this? Sorry, decisis, This idea that once you have a ruling that 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 becomes, you know, um, a a big challenge to overturn something. But they had no problem overturning uh, Roe v. Wade. But it is hard when you don't have the political clout. I mean, look, I I'm, I'm not saying this to sound envious or whatever else. But I know that the Anti-Defamation League has a lot of power to change policies in the United States and to challenge laws. I know the NAACP, the ACLU, all these other, these organizations that oftentimes represent oppressed Americans has, you know, has tremendous resources bring in bringing challenges, but we're not Americans. And, and that's the argument that I'm making. We're not Americans. We don't have the numbers. We don't have the resources. I know people say, oh, yeah, you got all those casinos. Well, look, frankly, we're not all in the same boat here. And even if you combined all of native wealth together, we don't even begin to touch the buying power of black people or Jewish people or the the special interest that the fossil fuels industry has or, or any developers. I mean, great. And it doesn't matter what side of the political spectrum these elected officials are on. You've got people like like Kathy Hochul, vetoing a bill that was supposed to make it a little more difficult for developers to develop on property where they find the remains of, uh, of people, not just native remains. I mean, it could be old, uh, they found slaves that were buried in an area. They found, or enslaved people, I should say. They found they even found Revolutionary War so- soldiers out near Lake George someplace. Um, and so the idea was that they were, they, the, the state legislature, you almost unanimously passed this, this burial sites protection act. And Kathy Hochul, she vetoed it because she just wants developers to do whatever the hell they want to do. She doesn't want to hold them up. So, I mean, and so my, I, I bring her up because this is who we, we fight with. You know, we've been fighting democratic uh, governors in New York state and, and I'm not trying to, let Republicans off the hook by no no means. In many ways, there's no question that that Republican elected officials are the most overtly racist. But you know what? You don't have to be overtly racist to be racist, and that's what we see in places in in, in people like you know uh, Andrew Cuomo or or uh, Kathy Hochul. And look, we also see people of color who do nothing but carry water for the Democratic Party. So whether we're talking about Eric Adams or the uh, Crystal People Stokes, the uh, assembly leader. We see it time and time again where people have earned their, you know, they supposedly broke the glass ceiling. Well, not so much. They got propped up by white people. And they continue to be propped up by white people as long as they toe the line. So, I mean, again, getting back to the the question at hand is what do you do about lying judges? Uh, Look, I know you're not going to do anything about judges who are lying about, how much they've been receiving in terms of you know, trips and, and money and gifts from, from wealthy benefactors. No, I know you're, they're going to lie about that stuff. But what do you do about when they lie in their rulings and in the opinions that, they, that they've written? I mean, that's kind of a big deal. So, I mean, it, it's, the, the challenge is it's not easy to overturn a ruling that's over 100 years old. Because it becomes so embedded in the fabric of American society, like like Chief Justice John Marshall said, if you can, if you can um, assert it in the beginning, in the first instance, and then sustain it, and then build things upon that lie, like the acquisition of lands, the you know the the stealing of lands, the murdering of if you can murder people based on on this lie, and get away with it. Paying scalp bounties for Native people, all this stuff, ripping children away from their homes and sending them to these um, concentration camps to be indoctrinated as Americans, if they can survive it. If you can do all that stuff based on this lie, then how do you overturn it? This, I mean, how do how do we challenge it today? And and of course, it's it's even more difficult because, in many ways, Native people are looking for these little tidbits of anything that kind of goes their way. So when ICWA got filed, or ICWA got passed, the Indian Child Welfare Act, on its face, Native people praised it because the Native children weren't going to be ripped from their homes and then then given to white people or sold to white people in some cases. So this was supposed to put an end to, not only residential schools, but to this corrupt foster care system. So that, on its face, sounds good, but we still weren't empowered to play a role in that. Now, I'm not saying we we don't have any power, because we've certainly made a bunch of noise. And and you know, speaking um, as a person living on the Seneca Nation territory, child custody issues are dealt with in the Seneca courts, and the outside courts, the county courts, the, the state courts, they will defer to the Seneca Nation courts when it comes to child custody, but they aren't bound by law to do that. They do that through. You know what one of our old lawyers, Joe Krangle used to call comedy. They do it out of this respect for a sovereignty that they are not they they don't have to bow to it, but it's about acknowledging that we have the right to do certain things. So the courts here in at least around Seneca territory will defer to the Seneca Nation courts. They don't have to by law. What they have to do by law, is acknowledged that the ICWA says they can't just place native kids in white homes anymore. I mean, well, they can, but they have to exhaust every possibility of placing a native child in another native home, even if it's a different nation. That's what that's the way Iqua reads. And again, the challenge to Iqua that somehow it was you know racially discriminatory. That challenge didn't even get dealt with. All they did was assert that ICWA was valid because Congress has ultimate authority over the affairs of Native people. And by ultimate, they mean they have more power than the states do. And so you you build this this house of cards out of lie after lie after lie, and then it gets to the point where you don't even see that foundation. You don't see how shaky that foundation is. I mean, I I find it ironic to listen to the United States uh, representatives talk about you know, the ills of um, of theocracies. Well, you've got a major part of the foundation of the United States built on Christian dogma. The The whole idea of white supremacy was built on this notion that Christians were a superior race. Yeah, I'm not even gonna say white people. No, you were superior because of, of your, your religious beliefs. And you know what? Those religious beliefs have been used time and time again throughout the history of U.S. jurisprudence, especially the Supreme Court, where because we didn't follow the same religion, the same belief systems that you did, that that alone made us inferior and oftentimes less than human. I mean, the United States won't acknowledge that Israel is a theocracy. How the hell do you think it is that Palestinians don't have the same rights in Israel on their homelands as as uh, Israelis do? It's because the country is a theocracy and yet if you if you see um, a, an islamic country all you'll condemn that is evil well is are all theocracies evil or only just the ones that you decide are are less um, less offensive to christians i guess because christians have this spot for you know israel and uh, and and the jewish community that didn't always exist but it came it became a big part of um, uh, again, of, of Christian dogma to support Israel. So, I mean, this is part of the problem that we have here. Hey, let me just take a minute. I know I'm, I've been on a strong rant here. I want to acknowledge again that we are, uh, This is all, we're doing the show live on WBAI today. Um, it airs on other Pacifica stations, including WPFW. And I want to thank those of you listening in Washington and uh, New York and, and other places that are carrying the show, including some of the Pacific affiliates. And I know a few other people are using this program perhaps on their web radio stations and that kind of stuff. And, and I'm fine with that. I'm trying to spread a word and I'm grateful to the, these Pacific stations for giving me a platform to, to talk about this stuff because look, you're not going to learn any of this stuff anywhere else. There is nobody doing this at this level. And I'm not saying I'm, I'm alone. Look, I, I've cited a great book by Peter Durico. It's called um, um, "Federal Anti-Indian Law: The Legal Entrapment of Indigenous Peoples." Great book. If you get a chance, uh, look it up. Uh, it's Peter Durico. You should look him up. He's he's um, I mean, honestly, he's one of the few non-native lawyers that that completely that completely aligns with with my views on on much of this stuff, especially on this. Um, you know, on this plenary powers stuff. He's done some great writing on uh, evaluating that ICWA challenge, the Brackeen versus Hallen case, or Hallen versus Brackeen, however it was worded. Um, and, and he's picked apart the, the problem with this assertion of plenary powers, which is, which is something that, you know, it, it's kind of you know, something we've talked about for, uh, for many years. But as I look more closely at everything that we challenge in terms of U.S. policy, it is backed by this notion that Congress, they made this up, this, this plenary powers doctrine of Congress. And look, I'll, I'll say it again, part of what the Supreme Court has, has tried to make, the case they tried to make is that because the, the uh, Commerce Clause of the US Constitution so, says Congress shall have the power to regulate commerce with foreign nations, uh, um, among several states and with Indian tribes, They've tried to extrapolate that and say, oh, see, that's what it means. It means Congress has ultimate authority over all all the affairs of Native people. They tried to reduce that Commerce Clause, or not, excuse expand that Commerce Clause to mean that Congress has all power, ultimate power, plenary power, over all Native issues. Which is, it's not just absurd. It's not just an extravagant pretension. It's a bald-faced lie. Because if you're going to look at the Commerce Clause But you're going to ignore the apportionment clause that says, oh, no, we're not including native people in our uh, in our population. They don't. We're not going to going to count them for the apportionment of representation. We're going to count three fifths of a black man. Or is it four fifths? I don't know, whatever it is. Three fifths, four fifths. Yeah, four fifths, I guess. Um, But we're not. But we're not going to let them vote. But we're going to let the the states that they are uh, residing in have Count them for for representation. I mean, it's another one of these racist laws that the the United States still sustains, kind of like the electoral college and you know the fact that every state has two senators, but um, regardless of how tiny they are, whether you're Montana or Vermont, you get the same number of senators as New York or California. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. But again, it's based on basically it's based on supporting. And and giving uh, additional power to these rural uh, conservative states. Essentially, I'm not saying Vermont's that uh, that conservative, but they couldn't do it. They, they couldn't give two senators to all of those southern states and and not give one give two, <laughs> two to Vermont. Otherwise, they would have taken them away too. But this is this is the challenge here, and I am grateful to to have. Both a radio platform, and and then be able to put this show up on Facebook Live, and put this on, uh, put this show up uh, uh, as a podcast, so people understand some of this stuff. Because we have to be careful also how we defend ourselves. If if our defense against the state is a, oh no, you don't have the power to do that, only Congress does, then we're selling ourselves to the federal government, which is frankly no better than the states. They may not be as engaged with us directly because Washington's a lot farther away than Albany and state government exists everywhere. So we have to deal with state, state politicians all the time. And most of them are pretty racist towards native people. Frankly, again, even black politicians that are predominantly Democrats find themselves pandering to white people. That's how they get elected. And, this is part of this is part of the problem. And of course, you know, you know what I'm talking about in Washington and New York and some of these other places. You know how many black politicians are pandering to the to the the Democratic Party platform. Or on the rare occasion that there's a black Republican, how much they, they are pandering to that party's platform. And we will never, as Native people, we will never have. Enough influence, certainly not enough votes. That's why I discourage Native people to vote in uh, US elections. I'm not discouraging Americans to vote. By all means, participate in your government. But don't just do it on election day. You need to hold people accountable every day. Eric Adams, hold them accountable today. Kathy Hochul, hold her accountable today. Don't just say, well, I'm going to take care of her in the next election. Because you know what? You probably won't. Because They'll throw some some culture wars issue up there. I mean, <laughs> most people are absolutely not impacted by any of the LGTB issues or the, the transgender issues. Yet there are people who will vote for, for a politician specifically based on their position on LGBT or, you know, a, again, gender conformity issues. Why? Are you that stupid? Are you that scared i mean i find i find you know the the electorate of the of the united states to be probably the most ignorant of of any you know civilized country i guess because the the things that they can get swayed by and i'm not just talking about you know russian hackers on facebook i i mean the culture wars issues it's it's just incredible to me it's just incredible Uh, So, again, I want to thank the Pacifica stations for carrying my show. Um, I'm thinking, Reg, uh, what do you think? Can we think we could do a couple of phone calls, perhaps? We'll close out the show with uh, getting some feedback on all my rantings here for the last 40
1: minutes. (laughs) I'm almost positive that there will be some people that would uh, partake in what you have just said. Oh, they're uh, all going to agree with me, right? Every one of them? Well, we'll see and find out. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. Well, yeah. let me give out the pledge, the, uh, the, not the pledge line, the studio line. It's 212 209 2877. That's right. That's the right one, right, Reg? That's correct. All right. That's correct. So 212 209 2877. Look, if you want to weigh in on any of the stuff that I said, and you know what? I've never been one to hold people. Hostage to the, whatever I've just spoken about. So, if you have got something else you want to run by me, um, by all means, you can give a, give a call. It's 2877 That's the number to call into Resistance Radio and John Kane, if you dare. <laughs> uh, look, I, Reg. I mean, have you ever really considered about how much the, some of these Supreme Court justices not only become these ideologues, but they're they become so ideological that that they're willing to lie in the rulings? I
1: mean, it's kind of absurd when you think about it. It's it's ridiculous, but sadly, I'm not really surprised about that because just uh, the precedence of the direction of what this country has been going, particularly and especially during the last 10, 15 years, uh, and, and it seemed like there is no... I mean, of course, there are ways of stopping this, um, but, but, hey, I mean, like they're not really stopping it. They don't care to stop it. And, and then this is going to continue on in this direction until further notice. Sadly. Well,
0: and, and, and of course we, you know, we try to put our foot, uh, you know, our, our foot down and we do what we can. I mean, that's why you saw 10,000 people go to Standing Rock because people had had enough and you've seen it time and time again. We, I mean, back in the seventies we, we took over the BIA building. Uh, we've, but took over Alcatraz. We've taken land back physically, Mm -hmm. you know, so sometimes we stop and we say, look, whatever you think is the administrative remedy for, for the wrongdoing that you're doing, we're saying, no, it it isn't, it isn't the remedy. You're just, you're just trying to bog us down with bureaucracy. And I think that's, that's the thing that, that we've had enough of. And as we battle, you know, for instance, here, in Seneca territories, we battle New York state or in Mohawk territory, we battle the state or Mm -hmm. we, or we battle, you know, various provinces, uh, on the Canadian side. We, we just know they will not provide a mechanism to redress their own wrongdoing. So we've got to make a we've got to make noise. We gotta, we gotta draw a line in the sand. And, and of course, then we're going to get called terrorists and, you know, uh, of of various sorts. Um,
1: uh, yeah, but, yeah. I mean, that's the nature. It's the nature of the beast, unfortunately. But uh hey, did anybody? Yeah, uh, but, anybody dial in yet? Oh no, we got a. We got a couple of people um, ready to go and talk to you, and I. And, you know, we'll see what how they feel about what you have just said, and uh, I guess we can start it off with this caller here. Hey, caller, you're on the air with uh Resistance Radio, John Kane. What is up? Tell them what you feel like, and uh, who are you, and where are you calling from? Yes,
2: hi. Um, My my ad in the uh, cove, if you will. Um, John, you're making the most excellent points, and all we can think of is this the land that will be referred to as what happened in the Empire of Rome. And as to bringing in the uh, listeners, that is Really, really, really important so we can talk to each other, connect to each other, and uh, further your points by uh, the community output. And thank you. I hope you continue. Remember, you used to be Talk Back uh, before Resistance Radio, but Make a Resistance Radio Talk Back. Thank you so much for your input. And the land is going right into the uh, 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 toilet, the abyss, no questions. In fact, as I woke up this morning and I went back to sleep, so I didn't hear it, but I caught some snatches because I had been listening to the uh, BBC on NPR. And they seem to have a black scholar on who is justifying this idea that the people who have the status of being white folks uh, starting in Florida, where they're reframing and reforming what it meant to be prisoners of war and enslaved. So, um, any comments about the um, the cultural mess that this country is becoming? We'll look forward to it. Thank you so much.
0: All right, thanks, Maya. I appreciate that. Yeah, you know, when when COVID struck. Um, it took a while for us to, to get readjusted to uh, doing the show remote. I'm doing the show from the Cattaraugus territory of the Seneca Nation here. I'm not sitting in studio in New York City. So I I was always a little apprehensive because sometimes trying to do call-in shows um, where I'm remote, the caller's remote, and Reggie's trying like hell to get balances. It's, it doesn't always work out that well. But uh, I'm going to try to do more talk back as we, as we go forward, and I appreciate it. You know, and I did hear this, this scholar who sounded... I mean, I don't. I don't know if he was black or not, but he was. He was one of the guys who worked with with the state of Florida to readjust the, what black curriculum would look like um, in public schools. And they, you know, even the interviewer seemed to miss the whole point. There was a what the what they had done was they had said something to the fact that skills uh, that slaves had picked up skills the enslaved people had learned skills that they could use li- later in life. And they even brought. I mean, the the host even brought up. Um, um, Northrop, I think was the guy's name, from 12 Years a Slave, said, well, yeah, he learned how to play the fiddle. He didn't learn how to play the fiddle because he was a slave. In fact, he was a free man who, a free man who would learn how to play the <laughs> fiddle. And, and so all of this, most of the skills that, that an enslaved person picked up was not be, because they were slaves. It was in spite of being enslaved. So listening to these guys, and, you know, this guy sounded like such an academic, and he was trying to be so factual, and the the host kept saying, well, what you're saying is technically true. No, it wasn't. Much of what he was saying was pure BS. Nobody (laughs) becomes enlightened because they are a slave. They may become enlightened in spite of being a slave or learn certain skill sets like to read. I mean, he was quoting, you know, Frederick Douglass, who— Frankly, I have some I have some issues with some of what uh, Frederick Douglass's right. quotes right. were, and we have talked about that in the past. But anyway, uh, to, to my ad's point, I I heard part of a, an interview on NPR today, and and it just pisses me off because, <laughs> look, we need to have we need to have better dialogue, and we got to challenge some of this stuff that gets said. You know, and, and look, if we can't challenge what what some moron who helped, uh, you know. Um, rewrite history for florida's a black community then how are we gonna hold somebody accountable who sits for a life lifelong, lifelong appointment on the supreme court
1: right. <laughs> I yeah, know it's crazy. yeah 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 it is crazy and I, I just wanted to add before we go into the next corner is that the caller is that you you we all know the reason why it, it's the narrative is being set up this way one because they don't want to see uh, they don't want to really look and delve into its past history. It never wants to be honest of what the dirty deeds that this country has done. And two, it's because of capitalism and 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 imperialism and 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 these things. Is that whatever the powers that be continues on with this narrative? Is because they feel that everything that has been done in the past, it was for the right and good. Of well, let's be honest, John. Not for me. Yeah, not for, for you. For white folks, <laughs> and, and really for a small segment of white folks, even.
0: Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. And when I hear this argument yeah. that we don't want we don't want white children to feel bad in school by what they're being taught, I mean, when I hear that, that's not even the that's not even the reason. I mean, let's be honest. The reason that they want they want to alter this history is because they don't want to acknowledge that. There are many people still benefiting from those atrocities of the past. I mean, the, the, wealth, the wealth gap that exists in the United States didn't just happen one day. <laughs> it was built on the backs of, of enslaved people and murdered right. people and stolen mm-hmm. lands. And, and look, most of the people who sit there in the, in these, as the wealthiest people in, in the United States, they either exploited another country like Elon Musk, <laughs> or they explo- or or they exploited, you know, the people who lived in this country. I mean, it, there's no question yeah. about that. All right, let's
1: go to and another caller. Good. Yeah, okay, caller, you're on the air with John Kane. Tell her, tell him <laughs> who you are and where you calling from.
3: Carol McPherson, Bronx, New York, and I apologize that I have so little knowledge of where I am that I'm unable to acknowledge that. I guess it, I know it isn't the Lenape because it was another nation that lived in this area, because I'm up by Co-op City, but John, as a person of African descent, perhaps whose relatives were brought here against their will and sought shelter among indigenous folks, um, we're looking to, forget—we Daryl is looking to John to inspire the nations to act like nations as you spoke. But why would would anyone submit to a court that isn't of their own nation? I could see going to an international court, but all this nonsense in which the American government gets to say whether you get water or not, as the Navajo, or whether and I really wish you'd figure out a way to publicized what Kathy Hochul did before the election, with stealing the money from the the Seneca in order to build a stadium in Buffalo, and then the response of the African American woman who's supposed to have some thing in the assembly to that um, that theft. We need to expose these people for who they are, and 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 what what I'm calling for here is. That once you declare the nationhood, then other people would have the right to seek shelter in your nation, and um, do it like we did it in the old days in Florida.
0: <laughs> no, th- you make some good points, and look, I am totally opposed the native people going into state or local or federal court for relief. I, you know, I but I do realize that sometimes native people get. Get pulled into those court systems. I myself, I you know, I I had to face uh, a federal trial, you know, back in the '80s. So sometimes you don't have a choice in the matter. You 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 know, they actually drag you into those courts in chains. Yeah, I was one of those guys. So sometimes you don't have a choice about being in those courts. But other times, like you're right, I'm I you know, this this Navajo case, which is is another perfect example of, uh, you know, of of the United States claiming to have some sort of Trust responsibility you know to to native people and then absolutely failing to uh, you know to, to fulfill any obligation i mean they want to they want to treat us as if we we are uh, wards of the state and but you know trust law this idea that that trusteeship it means something different with native people because normally if somebody if you're if you have somebody who is your trustee, they have to prioritize what's in your best interest that's that's what is what what trusteeship means but in the case of native people being viewed as um as wards of a trustee they still can prioritize the national interest above the, any responsibility to us so i mean and that and that's that's what we see time and time again so i mean a lot of these you know what happens is the united states will pass a law or a state will pass a law and we don't have any um, uh, any ad- administrative uh, remedies. We, we are denied, go- we can't bring the United States or an individual state into, uh, um, into, into an international court. The United States rejects those and, and won't abide by them anyway. Look, they have the, the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples and the United States still violates it on a daily basis. So we don't have a whole lot of remedies. We always try to maintain that our solutions for these conflicts are political not legal and that we need to we need to make a, enough of a stand and sometimes enough of a disturbance to where the powers that be representing the united states or the states or or white folks in general or whatever that that they have to ab- adjust what their policies are because uh, you know the best we can do is challenge their laws in their courts but that's different than us saying we need you to protect us in your courts. So if we can challenge their laws in their courts and be successful, that doesn't happen often, but it happens sometimes. But I think, you know, as I mentioned earlier, we've gotta be careful how we, def- how we challenge those laws. If we're only gonna say, well, states, you can't do this because Congress has, is the only one with power over us. Well, that's a, that's a problem. But, you know, and, and look, we have a, uh, there were treaties written Back during when George Washington was the president, where they said the United States will acknowledge that our land is ours, and that they will never claim our land, nor will they disturb us in the free use and enjoyment of that land, nor will they disturb the allies that we have living amongst us. So, to your point, yeah, if we could, you know, be more successful and get a little bit more international attention, perhaps, um, to our claims to nationhood or statehood, as we call it, not not the United States, but nation statehood, then yeah, I think that we could offer, you know, protection to other peoples who are marginalized by the United States. The biggest problem that, that, that exists right now is not mistaken, mistaking our efforts to assert sovereignty with, uh, with trying to claim constitutional rights or civil rights within the United States. Oh.
1: Um, I don't know, we have time for one more call, Reg? Yeah, we have one more. We have time for another call. So, caller, you are on the air with John Kane. Make whatever comment you have really brief and short as possible, and tell us where you're calling from. Caller, are you there? Hello? Yeah, that's you. Yeah,
2: say it, say it, say it. Tell it like it is. <laughs> I appreciate your program
0: so so much. I remember the first time I heard it. you told the story of a hockey game and the children, how they were mistreated, yeah. and it just broke my heart. And then that musical giant, um, who who talk about you sold our land. I just appreciate my hairs are standing up. I appreciate your content, and I just wanted to tell you keep keep moving forward, and I'm with you. Well, I, I appreciate Thank that. You. And, you know, and the, what I say to anybody though, if you hear something that perhaps you've never heard before, verify it. I mean, if, don't take my word for it. You can, you can look, we, we live in the information age. So anything that I said, I talk about Johnson v. McIntosh and this lie that the Chief Justice offered up, you can look it up yourself. You can read it for yourself and you realize that the stuff that I'm telling is factual. I'm not offering, look, I have opinions about all this stuff, but most of what I try to offer here are not opinions. They are They are facts associated with what, we are enduring as a as the most marginalized people in the united states, and, and i 'm not trying to make this oppression Olympics as they call it, because there are plenty of people who have been marginalized in the united states and and frankly, no people have been marginalized more than black people and and, uh, and, and native people and and by native people i 'm including those people who are being marginalized as illegal immigrants simply because they are fulfilling a a migratory pattern that is sometimes thousands and thousands of years right. old and now that we're going to regard them as somehow illegals because the united states put up uh, drew a line in the sand it's, a, it's well, absurd
1: and you know and i i wanted to add something to that as well too john is that we all have to realize that, as you have said before many a times on this program about the imaginary borders that exist between what is called canada and what is called mexico really it's are you know it's it's is um it's made up it's it's really land that was determined based on how much you wanted to steal from the respective other places and stuff and the people that were going up and down and really my mind was changed big time when you and shawnee was talking about uh... indigeneity uh, particularly of the folks south of the border, and it made sense to me. Like I'm saying, of course, of course, those individuals are as native, as indigenous as the folks that are here in the so-called United States of America. So yeah, our minds need to be changed big time, and need to be retaught to understand what nativism, what indigeneity is all about in this part of the world.
0: Right, and and, and frankly. There are indigenous people who have been oppressed on every continent on the globe, and but but when I look at what native people in the Western Hemisphere have experienced, we've hit, we've we've experienced it at the hands of country after country after country, and and it really makes the genocide, the American genocide, the longest genocide that the world has ever seen. It's it's incredible, Reg. I want to thank you for participating. Help me out. Help me out with the calls. It's
1: always a pleasure to uh, to engage you in my
0: conversations, so I greatly
1: appreciate uh, it. I mean, I hope I said whatever I said was uh, made some sense. <laughs> you were you were you were completely coherent, and I agree with everything that you said. So, so thank
2: you
0: very much. Look, folks, appreciate uh, it. Uh, I think I'm off next week, but I'm not sure. If not, uh, I'm still going to do a show. So you can find me on Facebook Live um, uh, or as a podcast. I, I do a show every week, regardless of whether I'm on. Uh, WBAI or not. So look for me next week and uh, we'll catch you then. This is John Kane and this is Resistance Radio.